You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. We're looking at the gifts of the Spirit and particularly honing in on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. That's where you'll find the most in-depth exposition of this topic of, of the spiritual gifts. And so that's where we have been. And we've come to chapter 13 today, right there in the middle. We're going to cover the whole chapter this morning. It's a short chapter, but it's, I, I like to think of it as a kind of a checkpoint in our journey through our un, growing in our understanding of what the gifts are. This is a little checkpoint that Paul puts in there that is absolutely essential if we're going to understand what it means to pursue these gifts and exercise them well. And so um, at the moment, my kids are obsessed with riddles. I'm a bit of a riddle fan myself. And so I thought I'd start with a, a riddle. Kids, kid, are the kids still here? Yep. Joshua, you're here. I can, I can see you. I can see you, EJ. All right. So here's a riddle. Real quick one. Ready? David's father has three sons. Their names are Snap, Crackle, and... David is the right answer. All the adults failed. I'm going to give you my heart, Eleanor, because that is just... That's your award right there. All right, here's another riddle. This passage, this chapter, is the passage of Scripture that I have preached on more than any other. In all 66 books of the Bible, this is the one I've preached on the most, and yet this morning I can use almost none of the content of those sermons in this sermon this morning. Why is that? Joshua's right. I don't like to recycle sermons. Thank you, Joshua. But it's also true that, uh, that uh, I can't really reuse my sermons on 1 Corinthians 13 this morning because almost all of them were preached at weddings at where the focus was on marriage. And you might know this, that, that uh, definitely when it comes to people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, their favourite passage to have at the wedding, because I insist on having at least one Bible passage, the passage that they go to more than any other is 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, the reason I can't use that this morning is because 1 Corinthians 13 isn't about marriage. It's just not about marriage. I mean, it, it has application for marriage and for all of our relationships, but it's not about marriage. It's about spiritual gifts. It's sandwiched right there between chapter 12 and chapter 14 as kind of the hinge piece in Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. And the purpose of 1 Corinthians 13 is to put gifts in their place, to put spiritual gifts in perspective. And so if you were to erase chapter 13, you would completely miss Paul's teaching, his, his worldview when it comes to the Christian life and specifically to this, uh, this idea of spiritual gifts. So let's just... Go back a little bit and remember what we heard last week. Remember Ben Clements was with us. I thought he did a great job. Um, one of the first sermons he's ever preached. And I thought, I just really felt like God was speaking to us really strongly last week about uh, the church being a body. Remember this from 
from last week's passage. The church is a body, and, and that metaphor really works because uh, though we are one body, we're made up of many different members, just like our physical bodies are. And those different members have different purposes, and they're all important. And so that was the big idea from last week and the idea that Paul wants the church in Corinth to have and the church in Caroline Springs to have, that all of us are gifted by God and all of us are indispensable in the ministry and life of the church. So that's the body metaphor. And at the, at the end of that chapter, in chapter 12, Paul asks all these rhetorical questions. So if you take a look at it just a couple of verses back in verse 29 to 31, He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is no, all right? Not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all do miracles. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? No, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. So what he's done there is summarize chapter 12 and introduce both 13 and 14. So when he talks about even though we all have different gifts and, that we're, and, and, and no one has one gift, that there is no one gift that everyone should have rather, he says, I do want you to desire the greater gifts. He's going to get to that in chapter 14. We'll get there next week. But in the meantime, before we get to the greater gifts, I'll show you an even better way. And this is the way of love the way of love that he outlines for us in chapter 13. So let's get into it. I want, I want to just move, move through most of this chapter and see what God has for us. So beginning at verse 1, this is what he says. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's talked a lot about tongues up to this point, the gift of tongues. We've talked a little bit about it, but we're going to have a whole week on it in week nine. So two sermons time, we're going to talk about the gift of tongues. The point here is that though he is pro-speaking in tongues, Paul, is, Paul wishes everyone would speak in tongues. He says exactly that in chapter 14 and verse 8. Though he is pro-tongues, he wants everyone to speak in tongues, he says, if those, that gift is not exercised in love, then all it is is an irritating distraction. Right? A clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. Boom, boom, boom. Like just an annoying, like... like. I broke the drum kit, all right? Sorry, I'm, this is why I'm not allowed near the instruments, all right? <laughs> went off piste a little bit there. But this, that's the point. If, if, if you have a gift like that, great gift. I wish everyone would speak in tongues. I wish, Paul says, I wish you guys would speak in tongues as much as I do. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than anyone. But if that gift is exercised without love, it's just an irritating distraction. You'd be better off shutting your mouth. And he goes on, verse 2. He says, If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Again, Paul's pro-prophecy. 
You'll see this next week when we talk about prophecy a whole lot. In, in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, eagerly desire spiritual, spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. He counts that as a greater gift, something that everyone in the church should be eagerly desiring to have. He himself speaks prophetically, and yet he says, that gift exercised without love is nothing. Not only the gift of prophecy, but even if I was in a position to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, even if that was possible, even if I had the kind of faith that could move mountains, if I don't exercise those gifts in love, not only is it nothing, but I am nothing. Do you notice that? He's not just saying those gifts are nothing if they're not exercised in love, but I am nothing. Me, the speaker, the exerciser of gifts, become nothing. And it really reminds me of one of the most sobering and I would say scary things that Jesus says. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, he says this, on that day, right, when he comes, when he, when he fulfills and consummates and restores all creation, on that day of judgment, he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That, is, that gives me the chills. The point is that you can exercise all of these magnificent, miraculous gifts. But if they aren't motivated by love, and we're going to see later that is the love that comes first from God and flowing through us, then I become nothing. Not only my ministry, but me. Verse 3, he goes on. And if I give away all my possessions... And if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, Paul talks about something that he's in favour of. Self-sacrifice is a big thing for Paul. You read through his epistles, he's constantly referring to the fact that he's left everything of worldly importance, of worldly value, to follow Jesus, to be an apostle. He's given up stuff. And he's giving up himself. Right? Remember he says to the Philippian church, he's being poured out. He's like a, he's like a sacrifice that's being given up. He knows he's about to die. And, and in fact, he will soon be killed for his faith. Along with all of the, of, uh, the apostles, with the exception of John. They all give up their worldly stuff and ultimately themselves in service of Jesus and Paul says, even if you give up stuff and self, if I give away all my possessions, stuff, and if I give over my body, self, without love, I gain nothing. There's no reward for me in that. So the point is that motivation matters. In the Christian faith, Motivation matters. This is why Jesus again and again and again will come back to issues of the heart. 
right? When people want to talk to him about what they should do and what they shouldn't do, he wants to bring it back beyond doing to being. He wants to bring it back beyond what you do to who you are, what's motivating you, your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's always and and consistently Jesus' ethic in the Gospels, and Paul is carrying it forward here into the ministry of the church. So it is true that talk is cheap and we need to show our love in action, but even action can be cheap. Even actions can be meaningless and hollow. It's motive, what's motivating those actions, that's what counts. And so we need to constantly be thinking to ourselves, am I doing these things, these things that line up with who I am as a believer, but also why am I doing these things? What's motivating me in doing these things? And Paul says, if it's not love, then forget about it. Now, here's the thing. Paul knows that the church in Corinth is incredibly gifted. This, I mean, this church is doing really well in certain aspects of church life. So he's able to say right at the beginning in, in chapter 1, verse 4 to 7, he says, I always thank my God for you. Something, I mean, can you say that about anyone? <laughs> I always thank my God for you. Because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, I mean, that is, that is something to say about a church. That's talk about church goals, right? I'm not big into uh, you know setting organisational goals, but if I was going to have one, that it would look something like that. They've been enriched by God's grace in every way, in all knowledge, that they're not lacking any spiritual gift, that they're eagerly awaiting the second coming of Jesus. Right? That's just that's that's an amazing thing, amazing summary of where a church is. But what he's saying to us here, saying to this church, at one and the same time, you are this, you are doing this, praise God for you. He also says, but check your heart. But if you're doing all these things and they're not motivated by and empowered by love, then you're wasting your time. And so this is why it's scary for me personally, and it should be for us as a church. If we're not motivated by love, we're just wasting our time. And it turns out there's a lot of time being wasted here, if that's true. Without love, we're nothing. And we're doing nothing. You might ask yourself, why? Like, why would that be true? Surely, surely just, I mean, at the very least, we'd be doing good stuff for people. If we run the Christians Against Poverty um, money course and people learn how to budget better, surely that's better than nothing. Paul actually says, no, it's not. 
The reason that it's worse than doing nothing is because we are defying our very nature. We're defying our very reason for being. We're contradicting our our identity as Christians. Love is so fundamental to who we are that if we're not motivated by it, then we're nothing. So again, Paul's just building on Jesus here as he always is. Jesus says, Jesus summarizes so neatly this truth. So in Matthew 22, remember someone asked him, what's the most important commandments? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the whole Bible comes down to that. Your identity as a believer hangs on that, loving God with everything and loving your neighbour as yourself. That's why it's so important, because without foundation, we can't stand. And love is our foundation. So I guess the next best question to ask is, what is love? Ali raised this whole problem that we have, again, with the English language. We've talked about the limitations of the English language. Our problem is we've got one word for love that we apply to strawberries as well as to our saviour. The Greeks were better off. They had four major words for love. But it's an important question because in our culture, people tend to define words for themselves and reshape words according to their experiences and so love needs some defining. I think probably in the, the, the Christian culture we tend to think of love as something that God has for us, which is true and maybe an image that we have is like and you can see this expressed in a lot of our songs, it's like that we're like a cup that God fills up with his love. And that's also true. God fills us with his love, but it's only the first part of what love is, right? If that was all that love is, about God filling me up with his love, then it would be all about me. But Paul's making very clear here, and Jesus has made clear to us already, that love is not mainly about me. It's not mainly about my needs. It's not mainly, it doesn't have its main focus on my satisfaction, but love is actually about loving others. So here's a little definition for you. I like this from Sam Storms. He says, love is the overflow of our delighting God that joyfully cherishes and seeks the best interests of another regardless of the cost to oneself. That's kind of a definition of what the Greeks called agape love, which is what what really marked the Christians out, particularly in the early church. Really marked them out, this selfless love, the love that seeks the best in others. They modeled it on their Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Love is the overflow of our delight in God that joyfully cherishes and seeks the best interests of another regardless of the cost to oneself. So 
We need to stretch the metaphor out. Yes, I am a receptacle that God fills with his love, but then there is an overflow, and it's the overflow of our delighting God that joyfully cherishes and seeks the best interests of another, regardless of the cost to ourselves. The supplier is God, but then we don't, we're not just receptacles, we're conduits. You know what I mean? We're, we're, it doesn't end with us. We, we are pipelines for God's love, which is then expressed to others. I took this video recently of the lake just over here, and here's what was going on. It was after we had a stack of rain. And the lake is absolutely full. Up until that point, like weeks before, it was really dry. You could walk around the perimeter on on muddy, dry land. Then all this rain came and it just overflowed. And then further down, it kind of narrows into this conduit, literally into a conduit that flows down into the, um, what's that river called? Corrick Creek. And the Corrick Creek was filling up and then feeding its tributaries. And that's, that's what love is. God's love filling us up and then overflowing by way of conduits, his people, into his creation. It makes total sense of what Jesus says in in John 13, right? This is what he says, "This this is what marks you out as Christians, not having conservative political views or liberal political views he says I give you a new command love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another so there you have it you have the source of love being God himself that is the just as I have loved you That's not just something to imitate. He's not just saying, as I've loved you, you do that too. There is imitation, but there's also supply. I've loved you so that you can love others. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another just as I've loved you. There's this whole dynamic. It's it's not a static thing. It's a dynamic Flow of love from God to us so that we might be conduits of his love to those around us. Yeah, that's good. Man, just imagine, just imagine this community and the greater community around us if that was happening among us. A torrential downpour of God's love in us that we gratefully receive and then turn and, be, and, and, and become conduits of that love to those around us, inside the church and outside of it. What does it look like? He goes on, verse 4 to 7. This is the, this is the wedding piece, right? Verse 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. 
Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so what he's, what he's got there is a kind of a list of um, what love is and what love isn't, what love does and what love doesn't do. And we don't have time to go into it in, in depth, um, but we can look at it briefly, all right? So first of all, he says love is patient and kind, all right? Love is patient, love is kind. And I love this because... You can be, just like the whole piece about gifts and miracles and stuff, you can be patient without being kind. You can be patient without being motivated by love, right? You can see this in a lot of marriages. There's, there is a, there's a long-suffering, like, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to stick this out even if it's 60 years of hell, right? Some of us have that kind of in, a, in our lineage, right? That kind of... Um, this is before the 70s and 80s came along and we had divorce on demand. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to grit. These guys are laughing because they know it's true. Some people aren't laughing because it's how, their life, all right? So let's just, this is, this is okay. You can be, the point is, you can be patient without being kind. You can put up with someone without loving them. And he's put them together to make sure we know the kind of patience that he's talking about. It's a, it's a loving kindness that motivates our forbearance, our long-suffering. He says, and the biggest part of this whole section is what love is not, okay? It's not boastful or arrogant, rude, self-seeking, irritable, right? It's not those things. Why? Because all of those things are focused on self. All those things are, are obsessed with self, What, I mean, why, why would someone be rude or self-seeking or irritable? It's because they're obsessed with themselves, because the most important thing to them is themselves. They have love, but it's just for themselves. And so if the, the main thrust of your love is directed towards yourself, it makes no sense of anything that we've talked about this morning. Jesus commandment to us, that new commandment, that Maundy Thursday commandment, that we love one another as he's loved us. His summation of all of the commandments that we love God and love our neighbours ourselves doesn't make any sense if we mainly just love ourselves. Love isn't obsessed with self and it is persevering, all right? So that's what he says, what love does it bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. There's a persevering quality to it. And this is because our love for others is linked inextricably. It's, it's, it's bound together with God's love for us. When does God's love for us stop? Like when does he stop loving us? Never. We got there. God's love for us never ends, and so that's why our love for others should never end. That's why we can be persevering in love, right? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All of that is true because our love for others is bound up with God's love for us. 
It's kind of a cause and effect thing going on. Love is, love is not, love does. Love does not hold a record of wrongs or um, find joy in unrighteousness. It neither holds wrong things against somebody or delights in doing wrong things. When it comes to wrong things, we don't hold them against others and we don't delight in doing them ourselves. There's a whole sermon in that passage, in that verse. And something I think that Christians struggle with just as much as anyone else. Keeping a record of wrongs. Holding grudges against others. Enabling hurts to turn to bitterness. That's not the way of love. So to summarise all of this, right, I think this is what Paul is saying. And, and David and Ali, the Spirit has been leading them in putting their talk together because I didn't have anything to do with their talk. Their talk is just really what I want to say in, you know, in more straightforward language. All right? And shorter too, so better in every way. So here's the thing, and they mentioned it. Here's what Paul is saying. The fruit of the Spirit is greater than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is greater than, better than the gifts of the Spirit. That's why he says at the end of chapter 12, I'll show you an even better way. And then he outlines what it means for us to live producing fruit of the Spirit. Love. Love for one another is the most important thing we have. And without it, all of those great gifts are nothing. Now, if we wanted to dismiss the gifts of the Spirit, we could try and force Paul to uh, be giving us this false dichotomy, all right? Or if we believed it, it would just be a dichotomy, right? We'd be saying, well, because the fruits of the Spirit are more important and better than the gifts of the Spirit, then forget about the gifts of the Spirit and let's just focus on the fruit of the Spirit. We just make sure that we're loving each other and that we're, we're, we're all of those things. Galatians 5. But that's not what Paul's doing. What Paul is leaving us here, and it'll be very clear by the end of this series, I hope, what Paul is doing here is, um, is summarised by one of my favourite memes. This one. I love that. Let's just watch that for a little while. The answer is, if you're listening online, that's the little uh, meme from, what's that company, Old El Paso? Why can't we have both? Right, I love that. And that's the point. Paul wants us to have both. He wants us, as we live out and manifest the fruit of the Spirit, he wants us in that way to be seeking and desiring and exercising the gifts of the Spirit. That's the whole reason he's written this chapter, to bring those two things together. And so the church, this is my vision of the church, It's the vision that he has outlined of the church in Corinth in that first chapter. And if you read right through Corinthians, you're going to see they have all kinds of problems. They're not perfect. 
But this vision of the church is of the church full of the love of God, living as conduits of his love towards those around them, unbelievers and believers alike, while pursuing and exercising the gifts of the Spirit to the glory of God. That's the beautiful, powerful image that Paul has of his church and of the church and of our church today. So we're going we're gonna to finish now in prayer. I'm going to be asking that God would shape us and continue to shape us in that way. Fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. But I also want to give you an opportunity to come forward. As we stand together and sing, we're going to have people here who want to pray with you. I want to pray, and specifically want to pray for you today for those two areas of your life that God is calling you to throw yourself into, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, love and power, right? I want you to come forward and ask that we would pray specifically in one of those two areas for you, okay? And if we do that all together, whether you do it out front or do it in your seat or do it in your small groups or with your family, as, as God answers those prayers and he will answer those prayers, you're going to see a beautiful thing created here in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this church and I thank you that you have gifted this church in amazing ways that indeed in every believer here, you have manifested yourself, that you've given gifts to be used to build up the church. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that that's happening and that 10 years into life here in Caroline Springs, Lord, you are more and more, more and more using us to bring about your kingdom. I thank you for all of that. And I pray at the very same time, Lord, that we would hear that warning loud and clear that if we're doing all this without love, then we may as well pack it up today. So please, please use this time. Even now as we sing and maybe as we come forward for prayer, Lord, use this time to check our hearts. Use this time to reinvigorate them with love from you for others that we might be that overflow Ultimately, Lord, we want to live in love and power to make all of life all about Jesus. So please do it. Do it in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.